You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's have a look at a set of results from a JSE listed company. The company in question is Distel. And these are the results for the 12 months ended 30th of June. Comparable group revenue up 9.4%. EBITDA reported down 22.8%. And if we have a look at headline earnings, they were down 1.7% and normalised and adjusted for Forex up 7%. Return on invested capital, by the way, improvement of 34 basis points. On the telephone now is the CEO of Distel, and that is Richard Rushton. Richard, I don't know where to start, really. It's up to you, because we've got categories to go through, RTDs, spirits and wine, and also geographies. Where would you like to start, geographies or categories? Um, well, I think we should start with geography, so if, if, if I may. So I think this was a strong performance in the context of a challenging South African uh, economy and a competitive marketplace where, in fact, in the second half of this financial year, we reported higher uh, revenue growth. um, And in fact, our volumes improved somewhat on the first half. So we were able to report strong revenue growth on the back of price and mix. Uh, We also managed our margins, I think, effectively, as you'll see, we report normalized margins up almost 60 basis points. And South Africa actually in, uh, did well from a, a market share perspective where both our ready-to-drink cider portfolio and our spirits portfolio performed very well. So actually South Africa, in spite of the context, uh, we're very pleased with the performance. And that's been the result of you know three to four years of really hard work uh, building out our brands and obviously extending our market reach through our, our market effectiveness, so our sales and distribution effectiveness programs. So, so that's our most important business um, that has performed very well. And then, turning into Africa again, the underlying performance of our African business uh, gathers strong momentum. As as we report here, you know we we had lots of growth. Um, in all of our key African markets. Uh, in fact, outside of the Botswana, uh, Lesotho, Namibia uh, region, which is part of the Common Customs Union, yes. uh, we reported growth of closer to 40%. So, so really, really, really pleased with uh, the ongoing strong momentum in East Africa, Zambia, Mozambique, Nigeria. And then, of course, you mentioned up front our reported earnings, um, which were down, and that's largely as a result of a painful but prudent decision to to take an impairment of Angolan investment because of the depreciation of the Kwanzaa uh, in the last year. And then also we provided essentially for for a, a, a credit loss against a Zimbabwe bond that we, we have with, with the government to pay us in two years' time for debt that our local uh, partner in Zimbabwe owes us. Now, again, that's simply a prudent provision. Uh, we, you know, we don't know how the Zimbabwe situation will uh, play out, but if, if you take out those two um, accounting um, entries in our result, the underlying performance was actually very strong. And then further afield in, in international markets, our volumes and our revenue, our volumes are down and our revenue was, uh, reported in low single digits growth. And that was a deliberate attempt to focus on much higher margin, uh, brands and SKUs in more select markets around the world. And that, uh, again, 
was part of our strategy to improve margins and create a much more focused uh, international business. So all around, I think that's the geographic story. Just before you go on, I, I, I'm absolutely fascinated by people's patterns. I'm a frustrated retail and social analyst, Richard, I have to tell you. And I would ask you the general question now. Because of the parlous state of the South African economy and because of the differing performances of certain jurisdictions and geographies in which you ply your trade, you obviously have to get this incredible mix of strategies. Uh, it's the premium brands in some countries, lower level brands, if that's the way to describe it, in other countries. And in South Africa, for example, because the economy is at best... And how, how can I put this politely? Under a little bit of pressure, are people drinking more? Are they drinking less? Or are they drinking differently? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. I think in South Africa, uh, you, in a strained consumer environment, you're seeing a few uh, effects. One is I think people are drinking less simply because their disposable incomes are under pressure. And secondly, they're trading down. Um, having said that, you know, there's still pockets of strong premium growth. And you saw, saw that in our results, that in fact our spirits portfolio uh, grew strongly. And in, 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 our, in our white spirits portfolio, for example, Cruise Vodka, which operates at a substantial premium, grew strongly. So there are still pockets of, of premiumization opportunities in the South African economy in which we are growing strongly. So I think... The general story is a tough consumer environment, a consumer under pressure, trading down and, you know, going out less. So there's no question that this is uh, something that's characterizing all of our, all of the trading conditions domestically, but we've actually done well. And again, we, we believe that that is because of our broad repertoire of brands that play across price, the price continuum and across occasions. And that's, that's what you see in these results. Yeah, and your marketing and advertising teams must be incredibly busy because you have to do one thing in South Africa and another thing in the rest of the world, notably Africa. I mean, the Nigerian, Mozambican or Kenyan consumer at the moment is completely different to the South African consumer. What are the trends yeah. in Africa? Are they moving more towards aspirational premium brands? Well, Lindsay, I think you've hit the nail on the head. The way we structure our business is effectively in three different business units and they're geographic business units for exactly the reason that you stated. We must actually respond to the very different consumer, economic, social, and kind of beverage competitive conditions in each one of these markets. Now, in Africa, what we're still seeing is strong growth in the mainstream, and that's as African consumers are urbanizing, and as you know, more and more females are coming into uh, the sort of working populations, we're seeing consumers starting to move into uh, beverages such as our wines, our mainstream spirits, um, and our cider brands. Now, premiumization on the African continent is obviously a lot slower. Um, it, is, it is there, but it's, it's, it's confined to cities across the continent. And it's more of a long-term play for us. So for us as a company, we focus primarily on growing our East African business through our Kenyan business, where we saw a strong performance both in top line and in profitability of that business. In fact, since we've acquired it, our revenues doubled and our profits have tripled. So that's an important part of our growing East African aspiration. And then we've established our Nigerian platform, um, 
we've started local production of some of our wines and uh, our non-alcoholic sparkling wine brand. And we set to to expand further into our, our ready-to-drink uh, brand portfolio. And then uh, we're, we're commissioning, as we speak, a similar plant in Angola. So, you know, through the coming 12 months, you're going to see a much stronger presence with platform production and distribution platforms in three large African markets. And as you say, each one's different, and we tailor our portfolio offering uh, to the unique uh, consumer dynamics of each one of those markets. Um, and I'm pleased to, you know, just say that although we are still relatively small in Africa, we've made a very, very powerful, strong, uh, you know, start on the continent, notwithstanding some of those kind of risks that we have to deal with on the continent, such as currency, and um, which we accept as part of the growth story of the African continent as well. I'm in Europe at the moment, Richard, and uh, the real trend here is premium beers, I suppose, sort of niche beers, all these breweries popping up everywhere. And the other thing is gin as well. Everybody, everybody seems to be opening up a gin bar. Has that taken off in Africa? Yeah. So look, gin as a category is unquestionably uh, a, the growth category. Um, we obviously have a very strong mainstream gin uh, portfolio offering in South Africa with Gordon's. Um, and and we're growing strongly as a result of that. So gin as a category is growing around the world and and in Africa, and particularly in South Africa, and we're participating in that growth. We as as we report in our results, you know, we've got a very good position with our single malt portfolio in Scotland with Bunnahaven, Deanston, and Tobermory. We've launched our own gin uh, from the Tobermory stable. Uh, for our international markets to participate in that uh, growth category. But we're very pleased actually with our single malt performance where, you know, volumes and revenue are up in excess of 20% on the prior period. So we're participating in the premiumization opportunity that's taking place in spirits. We're off a small base, um, but that's exactly why we we kind of positioning uh, our ventures business for participation in select markets in premiumization. Done the same with our premium wine portfolio. That opportunity is a lot smaller, um, given the profitability and the fragmentation of the wine category. Um, but nonetheless, we are pursuing those premium opportunities in select markets domestically and around the world. Finally, let's have a look at your prospect statement. You say the following, or this uh, statement is attributed to you. It says here, looking ahead, we anticipate the current tough domestic environment to continue and economic growth to remain subdued throughout the next year. We are, however, confident that the changes we have made to the business this year will embed our consumer-centric approach, our diversified portfolio of brands together with increased momentum from our business transformation programs will enable us to capture medium-term growth opportunities. That's a nice blur, but I think the most important question I'm going to ask you today, Richard, as we conclude this conversation, is what do you drink? <laughs> well, I love a Savannah. I enjoy a tipple of brandy, and uh, for me, a Von Rehm's 12-year-old would be my favorite after-work drink, and then Believe, or, believe it or not, my wife and I both love a Baines and a Bunnahaven on a late on a Sunday night, a evening after a bry. So I, I guess that sums up my kind of choice. 
Very good indeed. I was speaking to a stockbroker this morning and I said, well, I'm speaking to the CEO of Distel and he said, oh yeah, that's Savannah, isn't it? Yeah, it's not something I would drink. And I said to him, on a hot day in Johannesburg, you get a big glass of ice, uh, put in a couple of slices of lemon and limes and pour that Savannah over it. And at six and a half percent volume, you're getting a little bit of a kick, but the most delicious, refreshing drink you can possibly yeah. imagine. Would you agree with me? I couldn't have said it better, Lindsay. <laughs> I agree with you. Nothing <laughs> okay. better. Richard, thank you very much for your time. That's Richard Rushton, who's the CEO of Distel on the occasion That's of their results good. released earlier today. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.